Good evening. We are Vaccine Information Coalition and you're listening to Progressive Radio Network, the most listened to commercial free and truth radio program in the world. My name is Anthony Samroff. I'm filling in for the great Renee Oaks-Tonsky and the title of our show is What in the Cell is Going On? We're on every Monday at 2pm EST, which can be accessed live on prn.live or by calling 641-793-7091. Today I have an extraordinarily special guest on the show today. It's Dawn Lester. She is the co-author of an amazing book that's done brilliantly well called What Really Makes You Ill. Are you here with me now, Dawn? Yes, I am. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We've um, had a little bit of an email correspondence for the last couple of years, so it's very nice to be talking to you um, over the radio for the first time. Um, so, I, I, I want to, will you, you'll be running a course soon, but first of all, let's talk about a little bit about what really makes you ill, not just the book, but what really does make a person ill. Um, because I, guess I'm wondering how you came to an alternative understanding of what makes people ill, um, the etiology, which the, that means the origin of disease. And um, when did you start to think that what most people think is the cause of illness isn't necessarily what causes most illness? Uh, wow, yes, it started um, many years ago. Um, David Parker and I were writing a book actually about the nature of reality, which is a somewhat different topic. And in that we were looking at, um, you know, the nature of illness. We also came across the work of Bruce Lipton and his uh, extremely well-known famous book, The uh, Biology of Belief. Uh, which was extremely eye-opening because it showed that our ideas, beliefs, thoughts can affect our body, uh, which was pretty amazing. Um, mm. And at the same time, we were thinking, well, hang on a minute, there are all these different diseases we're supposed to catch. There's all these germs out there that we're supposed to be vulnerable to. So how does that work? How does that fit into it? And um, so we started looking at, uh, well, just trying to find out, well, how does that work? Because it seemed to be a contradiction that there were these germs out there that could, you know, affect us. Um, so starting looking at various diseases, the first one, so-called infectious diseases, the first one being HIV AIDS or the, mm. HIV being the um alleged virus that is uh, supposed to call the disease called AIDS and uh, that was <laughs> that was a, a huge rabbit hole to to dive down because we I mean we spent quite a long time looking at that we were um, uh, connecting with the number of people in the so-called AIDS dissident movement at the time this was in around oh yes trying to think now sort of 2008 or something like that uh, so, you know, this is a, a number of years ago um, because that was our the, the first disease or so-called infectious disease we were looking at that we decided to really spend some time on it to, to actually understand. And at that time, uh, I remember coming across the work of 
Stefan Lanker, Dr. Stefan Lanker, who uh, was a virologist, and some of his work where he was explaining not only that there's no evidence for this so-called virus called HIV to be the causative agent of the disease that is given the label AIDS, uh, he was raising questions about other viruses, at which point it was, um, okay, we need to look even further at this. And so that took us <laughs> down, you know, many years of research into various infectious diseases because we were looking at the the kind of questions that re were raised for us were the kind of questions we knew we would have to um, answer for if we had this conversation with other people. Mm. So, you know, it's always the, uh, well, if this, then what about that? What about this? What about the these other so-called diseases? What, you know, um, how how about these other epidemics, pandemics, you know, the, the so-called Spanish flu or 1918 flu, as it's sometimes called, and really not being satisfied. Pardon? Oh, uh, I seem to have lost you for a moment, but you're back now. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we were looking at other, um, you know, so-called viruses and these other diseases to find out, well, if, if it isn't this thing called a virus, then, you know, why are people ill? You know, what ha what happens? What causes these these outbreaks, these symptoms? And then we came across the work of uh, the natural hygiene movement, and they were mm -hmm. saying quite clearly that the the state of the body, the uh, the environment, internal and external environment, are, are far more important factors for our health. So that is what is sort of now often called terrain. So again, it's it's the mm -hmm. internal and external mm -hmm. terrain, the terrain that affects. Yes. So that, that's what affects our health. And at the same time, we also learned that there are no actual um, diseases as such, which, you know, I know is quite difficult sometimes for people to get their head around. It's, they're just lots of different uh, sets of symptoms, lots of different symptom complexes, and different combinations are just given different labels. And it might sound simplistic, uh, it is actually more simple because that's that reflects how the body actually works, which is what the you know what people explain as terrain. You know, our mm -hmm. what we're exposed to um, affects affects our health, and the body is not some just simple machine thing that that just functions and and you know got all these different parts that that can be affected by certain things and if you just fix one part everything will be all right it's a it's a holistic system and anything that affects one part will affect everything else and at the same time it's not some you know it's, it's not stupid it's not it doesn't make mistakes the symptoms um that we experience are actually the body's working um, own working mechanisms to to restore health to to keep itself functioning properly and it's you know as we're sort of expelling certain things that's just part of the the body having a a, a clear out you know i mean that's quite simple if you you know if you think like your nose is running when you've got what's called a cold mm -hmm. you know it's just your body kind of clearing out some stuff through your nose um it doesn't mean that you've 
caught something that um, has made you ill. It's your, it's it's the opposite. You know, there's so much has been inverted, and that's a key inversion that it's not something. It's not something bad. It's not something that's attacked you. It's right. it's, it's your body actually looking after itself, mm. which is which is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a sense, it makes you think. People get trapped in thinking that their body's against them because they're getting sick. When a lot of the time, what they take to be symptoms of disease are symptoms of cure, if you like. So. Um, as you as you mentioned, if you've got a runny nose or you have mucus, that's the body's attempt to trap particles that ought not ought not to be inside the body and get them out um, through the the detoxification um, channels. You know the the outlets from the body. So yes, it could be. Um, you know, one way we could think is the body just breaks down and um, goes wrong somehow. And another thing is, uh, you know, maybe if you get your I don't know, plaque in your arteries or something like that. That's an intelligent mechanism from the body trying to like put a bandage around the arteries so that they so that they don't burst. Um, your 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 body's actually trying to save you. So you a lot of people came to the understanding that most of what um, we've been told about disease is wrong, even in the uh, from the COVID pandemic, if we can call it that. Um, you you seem to be you seem to have been way 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 ahead of the curve. When when did your book come out? The what really makes you ill book came out actually in December twenty nineteen. Just well, before. I mean, like it's it's almost as though it were meant to be. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, it does seem to be like that, doesn't it? So yes, it it was uh, yes divine timing, and um, it was yes. I mean that that was the culmination of. Uh, 10 years of work. Uh, we did at the time, very early in 2010, publish a very small version of the understanding we had at the time. We just wanted to share the information and help people know that, you know, it's germs aren't making you ill. So uh, we did put that book out and then it, it took another 10 years to get the other book out. And just to explain that um, why it took 10 years, the book's nearly 800 pages. And right. it covers more than just the fact that germs don't make you ill. It's not about, it's more than that. It, it covers the kind of uh, factors that people might want to consider when they think about their own health. Uh, one of the problems, of course, is that many people want the alternative. Well, if it's not a virus, what is it? They want uh -huh. a straight swap of one mm -hmm. causal factor. So they say, oh, well, it's that. Uh, and it's um, it's quite difficult when they hear, well, it's not a single other thing. It's usually a combination of factors. And it'll be different combinations for different people, which is why different people respond. You know, some people have what are called colds for, you know, a few days and other people have them for weeks. So, you know, this the intensity of the symptoms and um, you just even whether they get symptoms around other people, there's so much within all of it. And and we're still looking at the all the different factors that could be involved. I mean, we're, we're learning more about how the body works and finding out that, you know, there are lots of unknowns still. Um, so we can only look at the the information we have that um, adversely affects the body, that causes the body to then initiate these 
mechanisms to then um, that look like illness because you don't feel well when your, your body's trying to clear this stuff out. And part of the reason is because the body actually is intelligent. And if it's making you feel tired and not hungry, that's encouraging you to rest and not eat. Because when you're resting and not eating, then the body can use its energy to actually do the healing, to, to go through the cleansing and healing itself. Whereas if you are, you know, uh, still eating, I mean, I know there's a sort of, you know, myth of, oh, well, you know, you've got to feed yourself up, give yourself the energy. Whereas, in fact, mm. you're, it, it's the opposite because the, uh, I mean, this is where the evidence lies, that the, the body is needing the, well, it's better for the body to have the energy to actually heal itself rather than digest food because it does require quite a lot to to actually digest the food. That's right. Um, I was told that 50% of our energy goes to digestion. And when people say you need your energy, um, you need to eat to get up your energy, your poor mum saw you when you were ill and she and you didn't want to eat anything because that's the intelligence of nature which you were still in touch with and you thought um no i don't want anything to eat and your mum came in and said well you need to keep your strength up so have this chicken soup or whatever it was um she she was mistaken because all animals fast when they're when they're sick drinking only water and it was the intelligence of the body telling you to take a rest so when we when we um fast or we um limit the number of calories we eat and that that saves that energy over for healing and of course we're not actually getting the energy we're not living on the energy of the food we eat today we're we're, we're living on the energy of the food we ate yesterday or a couple of days ago um because it, so it, it, it's it, it's a mistake on that level as well and i think what people find a lot of the time is actually they start detoxing when they've not eaten and they feel a little bit uncomfortable and then um they load up uh, on as, as as my great teacher Yari Tunsky said, and um, they used to load up on on a donut on a cup of coffee or something like that. Their body stops detoxing because it moves its emphasis to the stomach, and you go, "Wow, I must have been really hungry. I feel so much better now that I've had something to eat." But I, actually, the reason why. Um, you feel better as you because you've interrupted the process of clean of your body cleaning itself. Uh, as far as your the underlying condition of your body at the cellular level is concerned, you've just got worse rather than better. Yes, uh, that's the that's the thing that sometimes because people feel better when they do something, they equate mm -hmm. that to having healed whereas mm -hmm. it might not mm -hmm. always be the case it's just something has shifted and like you say the body's then shifted its attention so it's no longer healing so it stopped the the mechanisms that are um producing the the symptoms which as as you said you know most people think are bad i mean they're, mm -hmm. they're not i mean they they don't feel very pleasant um uh, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing that you're going through. It's, it's, you know, it's how we feel. So yes, it's, uh, it, it is, it is really quite a lot of, um, uh, quite a lot to kind of unlearn and then relearn something different about how the body actually works. Okay, so you you had to study for over ten years to put this book together because you were anticipating every and and. Or, or maybe you received 
every objection under the sun one by one and you're like oh we better answer this question we better answer that question we better and so what are some of the most common questions that people have when they're confronted with this uh, new understanding of disease that it's the terrain that matters and um, the underlying condition of the body at the cellular level uh, as my teacher Gary Tonsky said um, rather than um, the microbes that you might invite in microbes by e eating the wrong food, but they are not the cause of disease, they're there because of it, so to speak. What are the main objections that you start to encounter and how do you address them? Mm, uh, I think one of them is, as I said, well, if it's not um, a virus or bacterium, if it's not that, then what is it? And the the desire for a very specific answer you know a very direct oh well it's that you know mm -hmm. uh, you know a very decisive very definitive answer and it's not satisfactory uh, for some people when um you know we start asking questions back because you can't know exactly i mean nobody can ever know exactly what the cause was because there are so many factors involved and, and and so you start asking questions and they can't quite see the relevance of those questions to, you know, they just well yeah but what was it you know what the, the simple <laughs> answer is <laughs> we don't know i i can't actually give you an answer what i can do is make a few suggestions and by asking a few questions i can get an idea of your environment and um the kinds of factors that may have been involved that may have been contributing to to your body deciding that it needed to undergo this this cleansing mechanism um, and the other thing is obviously you know the phenomenon of uh, more than one you know two or more people in the same space uh, exhibiting the same symptoms at the same time uh, and you know the contagion thing you know how come that's not transmission because you know I, I started symptoms and then the next day, you know, my the rest of my family had all these symptoms. So I must have spread it to them that that's the most common one. Yeah, and that is a, a difficult one to tackle. Um, um, Gary Tonsky used to say if two people come into the elevator, someone sneezes, some, a third person comes in and sneezes. One of them gets mononucleosis. The other one doesn't. He said, what's the difference? Um, it's the terrain. So obviously he believed that conta contagion was possible. It was what you ate or the condition of your body in the cellular level as to whether you incubate invite it in when it comes to what you eat and or what you rub on your on them. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I um you cut out, so I, I missed some of that. I I, I apologize. So um, there are always a lot of factors that are involved and some of them are just having a, uh, a common environment. So uh, that's why people in the same family are, are likely to exhibit similar symptoms at a similar time because they, they inhabit a similar environment. They're eating the same kinds of foods, probably, probably not necessarily, um, and again, there are, you know, there are seasonal factors that come into it. There are environmental factors. So again, with that, there could be differences with children. 
for example, if they're in a school that has been doing an awful lot of cleaning with what you might call yeah, the sort of toxic cleaning ingredients, then they're exposed mm. to those those chemicals. So they would have inhaled them, you know, uh, usually the sort of off gassing or whatever. And so they're they're inhaling them and, uh, you know, that would irritate their systems and they're more likely to then exhibit these symptoms. The other thing is that um, the other factor that, that is quite often not not talked about is just simply uh, the well the uh, which I think is is sort of much more in in your line of thing is, is people's belief systems and their um, certainly their belief in the idea of transmission and contagion. So you know because we're all brought up indoctrinated into the belief that well if somebody's got a cold you know, they'll pass it on to everyone else in the house, in the school, in the office, in the everything else. So um, there is that, that you know, that, that factor is, is important. And some people say, oh, yes, and others say, oh, no, no, it can't have been. I, and, you know, I accept that. I'm just, you know, I just suggest that it could be a possible factor. You know, I, I can never say what it is. I can just offer the kind of ideas of what could be involved i mean you know there are so many questions to ask like you know have you just had sort of new carpet put in is there some kind of uh, chemical off gassing has something happened in the environment you know external environment has you know do you live near um agricultural um areas you know and are the farmers spraying their fields with something um th there are so many questions to ask there are so many factors and sometimes you know, in, in many of those cases, people aren't going to know the answers to those questions. And so they said, well, it, it can't be that. Well, I, I don't know. I'm just posing yeah. questions. And so that's people think it's uns take it as unsatisfactory. And I'm just saying, I, I no, we don't know. These are the kinds of things that could irritate the body to then to get to the point where it then says, oh, time for a clean out. Right. And, and I think to say you don't know altogether is well i mean we we can say in broad terms there's a few major causes of disease and uh, my teacher Gary Tunsky would say the two main causes of disease are nutritional deficiencies and toxic uh, and toxicity um, except um, accumulating toxicity to the cell so and these go together because if your cells full of metabolic waste um or it's full of toxic compounds then there's no it's hard for it to admit nutrients by the same token you need nutrients to run the process of detoxification so nutritional deficiencies and cellular toxicity always go along together we've got various sources and we've we've admitted so many toxic chemicals into our air, our water, the um the food the food supply. They're spraying our our produce with glyphosate, um, and various chemicals that are known to uh, to cause damage. The the assault on now. In addition to that, we've got EMFs. Gary Tunsky also said there's a electromagnetic flow to the cell. There's an there's a energetic flow to the cell. And uh, I would add to those three, which had been previously identified, there's muscular problems that people don't even know that they have because we have these muscle bands that go, um, 
yeah, you, the, the muscle uh, the muscle band goes right from your big toe all the way up to your neck. So things that are going on in your ankle can affect your lower back. And I, I don't know if we quite call these disease. Well, I guess um, if you get excessively tight, um, that will affect the, the flow of your blood and, and, and things like that. So we don't necessarily know where the toxicity came from, but um, if you've got purging symptoms, it's a good bet that you that you have admitted toxicity. Um, the other thing, nutritional deficiencies. Well, I mean, in 1993, the New England Journal of Medicine um, released a very well-researched report called Actual Causes of Death in the United States. And it stated that 70% of our diseases are lifestyle related with poor diet and lack of exercise being the main risk factors, followed by things like smoking, drinking, taking drugs. And then um, again, 10 years later, they, they repeated the study and, and found much the same. Now, that means that even in mainstream medicine, there are terrain theorists, 70% of the way. 70% of the way mainstream medicine are terrain theorists. Unfortunately, they don't take their own advice. They've not, they've not educated, they've not organized the medical system as though 70% of diseases are lifestyle related. If they had, 70% of what you went when you got to the doctor would be medical advice. And in my, my books and articles, I've covered instances of hospitals running programs that reduced the rates of diabetes and reduced the rates of heart disease, but then were stopped a few years later because they lost the private hospital's money. So although we're out here being called uh, conspiracy theorists, abused um, for, for trying to spe spread the truth, meanwhile, if the mainstream doctors took their own advice, they'd see... They, the, the information that appears in their journals, we'd be already 70% in agreement saying a lot of this is lifestyle. Uh, if you ask me, it's probably more like 95 or 99% as lifestyle related um, and 1% to 5% as, as other. Um, yes, I, you're saying about, you know, your books, I mean, going back to the what really makes you ill. I mean, it's as I said, it's not just about infectious diseases and germs. We do cover um, all the different factors, uh, you know, sort of environmental toxins. And it's not to scare people, but it's just to give people, you know, the the information about how widespread it is. So, it, I mean, there's one chapter, it's, it's almost a book length in, uh, on its own, just about the environmental toxins. It, we also cover um, chronic diseases, you know, what are called, mm -hmm. um, you know, non-communicable diseases. So we do look at those sorts of things and, and show that these are just different labels uh, and, you know, cover um, quite a few auto, what are called autoimmune diseases, which is, again, you know, <laughs> telling, telling us that, you know, our body's just so stupid that it fights itself, which is, um, you know, the complete opposite because the body's always looking to restore itself to health you know that's it's that's what it does all the time uh we also look at the um the training of of doctors and why why the system is the way it is uh even though as you say you come there's some information that shows that they sort of know what 
what's going on and even even the who fact sheets uh, talk about things like you know diet and exercise and smoking and drinking things like that only their solutions are always uh, pharmaceutical based so it, it doesn't match i mean right. You're quite right it, it just doesn't match at all most of it is uh, i mean it's lifestyle i i think um also the you know the fear and stress factor as well because people mm-hmm. are not functioning well if they're in a state of fear um mm-hmm. you know the whole system is is um kind of locked up i suppose you know stressed out like you were saying you know um and it affects how people are and how and how people think or, or you know the fact that we're not able to think so i mean that the, there's it, it it does cover a, a quite a lot of ground as I say not not just the germs but also showing that one of the problems is the fact that the the germ theory is pervasive not just through the medical system it, it goes into all sorts of areas of trying to kill the nasties and so they've got right. all sorts of chemicals out there to kill the nasties in in ordinary products which are not um based on you know that they're not part of the the medical system so right you sort of um uh, like all, all sorts of personal care products are antibacterial mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. it shifted into those kinds of areas and it, you know even even some articles of clothing you know they've we've got some kind of antibacterial something in them right. uh, so uh, again it, it's it's spreading wider into other areas of our lives to keep everyone scared of these so-called germs so it is it is quite important and, and that could be um, uh, well, could be. I, I, I think that pretty much is another factor in keeping people in fear, but also mm-hmm. adding to that could be part of the lifestyle. Like you say, you know, if people are using certain products because they are antibacterial, because they think that's helping to keep things clean, right? And then that's a, a lifestyle choice to, to choose those those kinds of products. And of course, that's uh, so. I, I'd agree with you that it's much higher than seventy percent. And one of the things I found really in in the research was were, were these contradictions, like you've just pointed out, you know, these organisations saying, um, oh, well, you know, it's 70 percent lifestyle. And, you know, like I say, the, the WHO fact sheets for a number of um, non-communicable diseases are, you know, these uh, Well, they're trying to. It's not just lifestyle because they're trying to blame it on the person. So the person thinks it's their own fault as right. opposed to recognizing that there are some environmental factors that aren't their fault but it is the you know blame the patient uh you know oh well it's your own fault um without the factor of the pharmaceutical products themselves being part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution right yes because um, most people now in the US are, are in f- on five or six drugs by the time they're on their in their sixties. Um, they have the most drugged population of all of history. If this approach was working, America would be the healthiest country in the world. If this approach was working, by the time if you were on five or six medications when you were sixty, by the time you were seventy, you should be down to only one or two. Um, Gary Tonsky used to say, "What they do is they treat the the the." The, what they practice is called Doctor, Doc, sorry, David Copperfield medicine, like the stage magician David Copperfield. Um, it's an illusion. Uh, it's the illusion that you're getting better when actually you're getting worse. The symptom goes away, 
and uh, you're playing the magic shell game with symptoms because that, uh, and soon you're on the medical merry-go-round, um, the endocrinologist, the um, toxicologist, the um, from from one specialist to, to another specialist, to another specialist trying to find uh, out what's wrong with you. In the meantime, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. The funny thing is, despite their pomp and they're looking down at anyone who they consider to be alternative, um, mainstream medicine hasn't actually been able to cure a single one of the major degenerative metabolic or so-called autoimmune diseases that are likely to affect us during our lifetime on this planet. In fact, almost all of them have become common, more common. So it takes a certain kind of cheek to act like you're the font of all knowledge and you know everything about everything and everyone else is anti-science when the lack of results, well, I mean, when the results of your practice speak for for themselves. So if, so let's say, so if non-communicable diseases, what we call degenerative metabolic or what are called autoimmune, as I say, I call them, say what are called autoimmune because the body doesn't attack itself. You might not understand what the symptom is trying to do, but what the body is trying to do is prevent something worse. From, the, the body will allow something worse to happen, something bad to happen to prevent something worse. Okay. If you get started to get um, fungus in your toes, okay, that's not, no one, no one likes that, but it's better than having fungus in your organs. So what, what the, what the body will do is try and push out all the, the metabolic wastes into your toes far away from the organs so that those aren't affected to the best of its ability. That's like a fail-safe mechanism. Um, We're told in naturopathy, if you get a tumour, that may very well be an intelligent mechanism from the body, creating a landfill site where it can throw all its toxins and put put a, a sack around it to isolate it um, from harming the rest of the body, the first thing the doctor will do is take a pin and stick a pin through it, like in a biopsy. And we we're told in, in naturopathy that's like a bit like someone um, setting off a bomb in a landfill site. You wouldn't want to do that. The whole reason why we've got a landfill site is to keep all that toxic waste away from habited areas. You wouldn't want to pop it open. So if if um, if it's not germs so so what what is your understanding at this point of the etiology that's the origins of what are of degenerative metabolic and what are called autoimmune diseases at this point uh that that's a big question i mean one of the things in the some of the factors oh yes yes no i was going to say is that uh, one of the contradictions or one of the comments i kept seeing in in the research looking at these different chronic or uh, non-communicable diseases was that uh, within the papers or or in the who or cdc whatever there, there were the admissions that uh, we don't know exactly what causes this, or we're not quite mm-hmm. sure about this. There was constant uh, conditional language. So there's nothing definite that they know uh, about these conditions, except that they'll just um, give you some some kind of um, medication for managing the symptoms, and that that's all they ever do. Uh, from... From what I've looked at and what I've learned and 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 I'm still learning, I I think it's 
the more chronic conditions are a, a build up of the body not being able to deal with the more, uh, you know, the acute conditions or the, the acute conditions being suppressed by various mm -hmm. products, pharmaceuticals or whatever to, so the body is not actually clearing itself, clearing these problems. And so the toxicity builds up and it becomes more deeply embedded in within the body and so it's no the body's no longer able to expel the toxins through the skin in you know the the normal kind of processes or you know through the nasal passages or you know sort of the the normal routes of excretion uh, and so you know there's a build up and and as you've said you know with with tumors i mean the the body will try and pack away these toxic buildup in, into places where it's not going to do so much harm, as you say, keeping it away from the major organs. Uh, and, and yet there, there comes a point if, you know, the, the person doesn't address the symptoms and doesn't keep on top or addresses the symptoms in a way that actually keeps them suppressed. And then it's, it's just a buildup. It's just a, a longer term, you know, it's a long term buildup of these problems and toxicities at the same time it, it you know there are there are also ideas and again going back to the belief system that that there are these conditions that are either genetic or hereditary and so if there's something mm. that various members of their family have experienced they're brought up with the idea that it runs in the family and mm. so they've got that mindset that it runs in the family and so they have that expectation and it, it's it's so you know it can be so um easy to just say oh well that's just woo woo it, it, i mean it really isn't that you know the power of the mind to really manifest something within the body you know there's there's just um, far too much evidence to to be able to dismiss it just by saying, oh, well, you know, doesn't make any sense. Well, it, it's true. I'm not saying it's the case all the time. Uh, the From what I've looked at, the research, you know, the, there are serious question marks over the idea that anything is genetic in origin. So, mm. uh, and again, that, that really goes back to Bruce Lipton's work, um, The Biology of Belief, and he said, you know, that our genes don't control our biology, which is where the, the idea of epigenetics comes from. And he, I think that's been um, hijacked as well and, and given a slightly different meaning. But the the whole point is that the genes don't uh, cause anything or the genes are affected by the environment. They don't uh, so again, this is back to the terrain idea. Our bodies aren't affected by our genes. Our genes don't control what happens in our body. Mm. And um, so again, you know, the idea of something being genetic or hereditary. And, you know, just something is just because it's in the family or other people. I mean, th there's a there's a possibility of, of some something being um something occurring that's similar uh it's not because it's hereditary but there could be some something within the parents or one of the parents that is uh mm. a, say a, a within their system a weakness that then right. then creates a, a, a similar condition in in any children so again these are just ideas these are still being looked at you know and again being electrical um 
as as you said, you know, our bodies are electrical as well. So being affected by uh, non-native EMFs, by electrical systems around us, and, you know, that can also disrupt our, our body's normal electrical system. And, of course, the two major organs that run on, um, that say run, not run on, that are electrical, you know, they're tested, uh, the brain and the heart. And, of course, they're probably two of the, you know, major organs that, that have problems with them. So, again, uh, cardiovascular disease being probably, well, considered to be the number one um disease i think for mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's globally or, or just in, in yeah. certain areas but it, it, it's it's certainly considered one of the major chronic illnesses you know cardiovascular disease which is certainly you know, yeah it, it covers a range of different conditions uh and again you know if the, because the heart functions electrically uh it you know the more um we're affected by these uh, non-native EMFs can actually f- affect how how the heart functions, and so um, you know there's there's so many different factors to this. Unfortunately, we're we're sw- swimming in all kinds of um, toxins and and things around us, and it, you know we need to find ways to strengthen our body so it can do do its best job at looking after itself. Right. Yeah. And I mean. Heart disease is um, the the major killer, partly for because if nothing else gets to you first, uh, then your heart will eventually give out. But um, it seems that a lot of our lifestyle um, does have a great effect on um, heart disease. And uh, yeah, as you say, we're living this toxic soup. Um, Gary Tonsky would say that uh, it's all in the genes is the Calvin Klein theory of health and disease. And he, he used to say, if your doctor tells you that your disease is genetic, try this. Ask him to tell you exactly what gene is responsible for your condition. Now that will really stump him, unless it's hunting disease, Huntington's disease or a congenital genetic defect. They almost certainly won't be able to do it. An interesting thing is that um, the epigenetic research, oh sorry, Joel Wallach was like, um, he wrote a really good book called Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And uh, when he he found that when he um, was working in zoos and things like that, a lot of the time he discovered that a lot of conditions in animals that were thought to be genetic could actually be prevented by by mineral treatments. So this this demonstrated that if you corrected a mineral deficiency, all of a sudden um, what were thought to be genetic defects go away. In one instance, he had these foxes that... um, that every time they bred, the, the the offspring all had a cleft palate. So so they thought in the the zoo that it was a genetic defects defect. But once they remineralized, um, yeah, three, four, five, six months, all of a sudden those foxes started to have healthy offspring. So we're thinking about that um, now in terms of the fact that we have an infertility crisis on our hands now, with one one out of six people worldwide not being able to conceive and we're thinking maybe this has got something to do with the fact that people aren't getting the level of nutrition uh, that they used to and they're eating so much junk food that it that it means that what tr- uh, nutrition they do have the body's the body system so damaged and overtaxed trying to deal with the excessive demands of processing junk food that they can't that their organs aren't as good at stripping 
the nutrients from the food they are getting either. Um, I'd be interested in knowing what sort of stories, now that you've been in this space for quite a long time now, you've heard from people who had diseases that they were told were incurable by the mainstream doctors and managed to take on terrain-based protocols and demonstrate that their diseases actually were, were reversible. Uh, yes, I mean, not just in the last few years, I mean, through the research and the reading, and that was part of the um, feedback of, of realising that, um, you know, it works. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's one of the most important factors. It's not about um, peer review journal articles. And um, I'm sure we can sort of go into the problems with that, but mm -hmm. maybe not. But it's it's to actually say, well, what what, what works? You know, mm -hmm. what actually helps a person not just feel a bit better, but their their whole body to um, function better to, you know, so that they have a, a massive improvement in their well-being. So it's not just the, the the symptoms going away, because we know that that can just be masked by, you know, something that is just um, suppressing the symptoms, but where they actually have a, a complete um, change in in their whole health and, and well-being. And that's I mean, the, the books are just replete with those kinds of um, examples. I mean, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the, you know, the Gersons, I mean, they mm -hmm. they had so many people that went to them who were in um, a pretty, pretty bad condition. You know, they tried other things um, and yet they were able to uh, help these people uh, restore, restore health. I, I don't want to use the word cure because that's sort of suggest. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's a taboo word anyway. It, it's yeah. it also suggests that there was something to cure as opposed to helping yeah. the body restore itself yeah. to health. I, I always use the the word reverse disease because we see disease as a process. It, it gets started and it can get worse and worse and worse as it goes on. But um, it's not, yeah, yeah, to suggest that the body's making a mistake because it's throwing up symptoms, which are actually the body demonstrating its intelligence and ability to manage stress. And um, to call that a disease is like um, to misunderstand, you know, the, 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 the universe is a lot more benevolent than we think it is. <laughs> um, or, you know, in, in these ways, uh, everything is not out to get you. And, um, Everything uh, just uh, and everything you think that the body's doing, which is there, which you think is something wrong with it, typically is something is something right with it. So if you watch the documentaries, the Beautiful Truth and the Garrison Miracle, um, in one of them, a, a woman come. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remind myself of which one came out first. Uh, I think it was the Beautiful Truth. Uh, that can be watched online. It was in 2008 and the Gerson Miracle in 2004. There, there was a woman in both of these documentaries. In the first one, she comes in with terminal ovarian cancer and six months to live. She's emaciated. She look four years later. The difference will shock you. I mean, she's she's she basically has turned back the hands of time. She looks like a younger woman than she did in the first documentary, and yet. In the mainstream, they'll tell you that Gerson therapy is quackery and it doesn't work. 
in the meantime, as I found out, shockingly for my research, you can actually get a cancer treatment approved without even demonstrating to the regulator that it increases people's length of life or their quality of life. The only thing you need to do is demonstrate that it shrinks a tumour. Now, there's a big, big problem with that because there's stacks and stacks of studies in the oncology literature that says that tumour shrinkage does not necessarily increase, uh, does not necessarily improve the outcomes of patients. Tumor shrinkage can be transient and it can regrow fast. The cancer can just bounce back more aggressively than ever after treatment, or um, the patient can bleed to death, or it can get, uh, well, I was going to say it can get an infection because their immune disease has been wiped out, but we're now not sure that an infection is what we originally thought it was. Um, basically, they can die from the treatment, but the treatment will still get approved. The government will still shell out for it, and so will private insurers. So it's really shocking that they can turn around and say something like someone, a genius like Gerson, was a crack, was a quack, when their own journals admit that their own treatments are not scientifically verified, but they certainly bring a lot of money into private hospitals in the US and um, they certainly um, keep everyone's salary going um, in the NHS as well. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, it is it is a fantastic business model. Uh, and in most of the papers that you look at that are looking at various um, so-called diseases, they are looking at um, just certain reactions or interactions between particular chemicals and if it has what they perceive to be a, a beneficial um, response in whatever it is they're d dealing with in their laboratory you know and quite often at the end of those papers it, you know there's there's all this conditional language or it, it could do this and it might do that and and we need more research so you know they're mm -hmm. asking for more funds so they can carry on doing their work looking at these things which and and the more the more you look at these papers and and it seems to be certainly moving in the direction that it's moving so far away from anything that's um connected to the intact living human body mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. now dealing with you know just molecules you know it's not even dealing with actual cells from from a from a human and and of course you know we are dealing with all the animal uh, experiments that they're conducting and so many of those animals have very different systems from the human body you know we aren't the same i mean there may be some similar some similarities in some of the functions um the reason uh, and again we cover we cover um vivisection in the book as well uh, because the the reason for these animal experiments is because apparently it's unethical to experiment on humans and the reason they use rats and mice is not because they're similar to humans so they're not getting information that's related to the human body uh, they they use rats and mice because they're cheap and easy to uh, easy to get hold of and easy to manage so you know that that's admitted and so they're not even testing what they're uh, examining what they think you know is is something that is like you say a 
at something that's supposed to be beneficial or that they've got their results that say, oh, well, you know, this this could be beneficial. Let's try this drug. And it goes into clinical trials. Um, they're not even trying it on on anything that, that's related to humans. And many people say that animals don't even have the same conditions that humans have. And some of the vivisectors actually, or people, who, sorry, some of the people who talk about vivisection have said that they have to induce in these animals the, the, the conditions that are similar to this human condition. So they have to induce them. And some of the substances they're using to induce them are some of the substances that we know are toxic. So, mm. uh, you know, it's just they're using toxins to induce conditions that they then find treatments for. And and somehow they don't seem to see um, that that, you know, surely if you if you're using some kind of toxin, what does that not show you that it's the toxin that is the problem? And maybe right. using those toxins, things like mercury and formaldehyde and, and all these kinds of things, um, you know, that 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 should be a big clue that the these chemicals are are the problem. And also there's the work of Dr. Harold Hillman, who showed that the um, the actual procedures of within a laboratory are are quite often the reason for the actual um, effects that they're seeing. So it's not that they're um, that there's something wrong in the sample that they're start, that they're investigating. It's to do with the procedures that they're using that then creates the effects. But they don't take any notice of those procedures or those chemicals that they're using. And then just see these effects and they're trying to say, oh, well, you know, that little round shape there in the electron micrograph. Oh, that's that's a virus, you know, because that's mm. that's what we've been trained to see it as. Don, thank you so much. I guess we're, we're coming up to the end when, when someone, as they, they must often do, emails you and says, well, we've got these um, I've got some illness or another. Um, what am I meant to do to reverse the disease process? What are the first things that you ad advise people? What are the, the top? Well, first of all, I, uh, we don't give anything that can be construed as medical advice. Um, we make suggestions of the kinds of things that they might want to look at within their environment and lifestyle and say, you know, these are these factors something that you might want to look at? We mm -hmm. try and share what? information for people to then see what uh, is relevant for them and see if there's something that they can do something about. I mean, some m most people generally have, have read the book or some of it, and so they're not coming kind of like cold from the outside to ask mm -hmm. for advice. Um, but if, if people want um, something um, to do with medical advice, then I'm afraid that's that's not what we give. We don't we don't have that. Uh, we don't have the ability to do that. You know, it's just it's 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 the whole legal stuff. You know, we can't give yeah. advice. We yes. share information. We share information. Oh, and and we share information. And say, well, you might like to have a look at this. You know, this website might give you some of the information you're looking for, or that kind of thing. Mm. Mm, very good. Okay, the book is called What Really Makes You Ill? 
and um, people can get that, I guess, through the normal sources. Do you want to tell us some of your other um, links where they can find your writings and how they can stay up to date with you? Well, the main website uh, for the book uh, or for information about us, the book and, you know, various interviews and things um, is whatreallymakesyouwill.com. In the last couple of years, I've been writing uh, I've been writing on Substack, so uh, my Substack is called Dawn's Writings, and uh, I've got a, a selection of different articles, mainly uh, exposing some of the problems with the fearmongering stories that are being put out mm. in the mainstream. Mm. Because that's one of that's one of the things for me is is to help people not be drawn into all this fearmongering because it's it, it will affect their ability to think clearly and to see to be able to you know read properly because they, they see the headlines you know and again at the right. moment it's the disease x thing um, yeah now we've got disease x what what is yeah. there to say about disease x i mean it's it's almost like they're they're making fun of us at this point. They've not even taken the time to give it a proper scary name. It's just disease X, just like in algebra when you're at school, when there's an unknown factor, you call it X. Mm, yes, yes, that's that's a good one. The uh, There has been a mysterious, um, you know, unknown possible disease, uh, references to that. I remember coming across that in, in the research. So, I mean, it, it, it's not it's not recent it's it's been around for a number of years the this whole idea because they're trying to scare everyone with you know well there's millions billions of trillions or whatever of, of of viruses that we don't know some of them might be deadly and some of them might cause this unknown something or other that's around the corner it it, it is fear-mongering um which is why one of the things that i try and keep in my writings is is to dispel the fear to help people come away from being afraid and and so that they can actually have a look at what is being said about these things and start to see ah okay they're saying it might be or it's this or it's possibly and you know you have to say well how 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 can they know there's another so-called pandemic or something coming how how can they know you know the apparently the last one was the 1918 flu and then we had this this covid stuff so what why is there another one around the corner when it was a hundred years between so you know it's, it's to get people to start thinking more clearly um really and and just just to highlight highlight the contradictions and also show them that you know there's 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 something else that we need to to look at and it's not to be afraid it's you know there's an agenda but to be aware of the agenda and to start taking taking control of their lives, taking back responsibility. All right, thank you for your service. This is Anthony Samaroff here. Uh, I'm in Ixtapa, Mexico, where we're trying to set up a place that people can come to experience uh, detoxification of the body and remineralization, especially for people who are faced with the infertility ep epidemic and would like to conceive. If you know who's someone who could benefit from this sort of thing, or you yourself would like to spend some time in the sun, um, reaching health uh, levels of health that you've never dreamed of before. I'm sure um, you can email the show and I'm sure Renee will put you in touch with me or you can find me quite readily on the on the internet. 
Um, we are posting science, uh, articles, including Dawn's, at terrainscience.com. You're listening to Vaccine Information Coalition, and our show can be accessed, downloaded, and shared on whatinthecell.podbean.com or on the front of our VACINFO, V-A-C-I-N-F-O.org website under the little boy flexing his muscles. We're on every Monday, 2 p.m. EST, and our contact number is 954-347-9671. I'd like to thank Progressive Radio Network for allowing us to give you this uncompromised truth, and yeah, bless.